Welcome to our second episode of Cyberwork Live by InfoSec. As you may know from our weekly Cyberwork podcast, we've talked with over 150 different industry thought leaders about cybersecurity trends, the way those trends affect the work of InfoSec professionals, and offered tips for breaking in or moving up the ladder in the cybersecurity industry. And today, it's all happening live. I am Chris Senko, Cyberwork Live host and InfoSec Director of Online Content. And as you can see, today's topic is red teaming, the fun and the fundamentals. I'd like to introduce you to our guests in just a moment, but before we get started, I have a few notes for our live audience. You are all set to listen only mode. That means that you are muted, but you are still welcome to ask questions using the QA panel provided on your control panel. We had plenty of great questions in the weeks leading up to the event, but if you have any additional questions, feel free to ask and we will do our best to answer them during the program. And with that, I'd like to introduce you to our esteemed panel of guests today. Amin Gilani is the Chief Growth Officer at Countercraft, a deception-driven threat intelligence firm. Previously, he was Chief Technologist at Booz Allen Hamilton, where he provided expertise to federal and commercial clients focused on incident response, red teaming, threat hunting, and cybersecurity operations engineering. Prior to joining Booz Allen, Amin was a Vice President of Information Security at Goldman Sachs, where he led red team operations and emulated sophisticated attacks against securities trading platforms and payment systems. He began his career serving in the United States Air Force as an intelligence analyst and supported the National Security Agency and United States Cyber Command. Amin holds a bachelor's degree from University of Maryland and a master's degree from John Hopkins University. Amin is also a visiting fellow at the National Security Institute at the George Mason Law School. Curtis Brazell is a longtime information technology and security enthusiast. Over his career, he has obtained professional experience in both defensive blue team roles as well as offensive red team positions. He has created and maintained many security-related re passion projects, including a security awareness phishing toolkit, MDR solutions, and a cybersecurity ABC book series for young children, which we were talking about before the show here. Over the last seven years in his last position, he built up and led a red team and is now currently a managing security consultant for AppSec at GuidePoint Security. He loves to research and blog on new vulnerabilities, attack techniques, and other security topics in his spare time. Amin, Curtis, welcome to CyberWork Live. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, so yeah, let's let's start out. We have we have a lot of questions from the audience today, but I do want to talk to you both about your red team backgrounds. You both obviously have uh, some pretty great bona fides. So, um, what are some of your favorite, uh, you know, intro stories? Your your red team experiences. What do you, can you tell us a little bit about some of the the fun things that you've uh, you've done in your time as as Ed red teamers? Uh, start with Amin. Okay. Okay, uh, Curtis, you want to start? Yeah, that, that's fine. Um, yeah, where do I begin? Um, just you know, as a working for different consulting companies, you know, you have a lot of stories in the trenches, if you will, and uh, you know, a lot of them come from physical red team assessments, uh, phishing assessments. Um, sometimes you pair them up with um, a, a pen test, like a true red team, where you're doing you know a physical component in addition to um, the penetration testing, the, the the electronic, you know, digital component, if you will. Um, I think some of the one of the ones that comes to mind that um, is most interesting to me is when you combine those elements together. Mm -hmm. And so you're doing a red team assessment, but you're also trying to break in through their perimeter, see if you can, um, you know, fish uh, fish in uh, and, and get credentials and, and uh, compromise the the perimeter. Um, 
there's this one uh, scenario in mind where you know we're trying to gain physical access. Um, so first we start with the pen test and we're scanning the perimeter and you know you gain access and through an outside vulnerability um, and then you know internally you find uh, physical access controls for the doors. You find you know sensitive documents um, that show where everybody sits, you know what their names and their roles are, uh, contact information, and then you can relay that to your physical red team and say, here's all the information you need. Here's the passcode on the front door um, to get in. You know maybe you can disable the webcams too um, because you have you know access to those. So I think for me anytime, and I've got a lot of stories like this, but anytime you can combine all of those different elements, um, it seems more like the movies or something, right? So right, right. to me, those are the most fun experiences. Yeah. I mean, do you have any anything similar to that or any other exciting yeah. things that have happened? Um, yeah, actually, uh, back when I led uh, Red Team Operations at Goldman Sachs, I thought that it'd be, um, you know, it'd, it'd be just like that, right? You're doing uh, all the reconnaissance, understanding who is putting out information about what critical assets that they're working on on behalf of the firm. Um, so definitely the reconnaissance phase is super fun when you talk about the kill chain, um, seeing like who um, the adversaries would really target, right? And I think there's a, a fundamental difference between just pen testing and then red teaming. Um, right. Red teaming, you really put the lens on as an adversary, as a sophisticated adversary, it could be a nation state, um, and you really have to approach that those objectives as the adversary as well, right? And of course, you need a lot of approvals. So those are some of the things that you'll always ask for too, as a being a part of the red team. Um, always looking for approvals from making sure that you're, you know, sponsored by the correct entities, so you don't get in trouble when eventually, when you do break something or <laughs> gain access to something that you shouldn't have. Um, right. So, um, but uh, one of the most fun things that I did at Goldman uh, was really emulating the Swift payment platform um, breach. So, you know, whenever uh, I think it was 2016. Um, whenever uh, the Bank of Bangladesh was heisted for over $80 million through um, a SWIFT payment uh, fraudulent activity. And so once that happened, Red Team became a real priority for that firm. And, um, and we started to emulate attacks like that. And so um, there's a lot at stake there. You won't believe the insane amount of money that goes through SWIFT on a daily basis. Um, and so, you know, being a part of, uh, you know, pen testing that or actually red teaming it, uh, you want to make sure that you do it appropriately, right? Because if you were to, you know, take down the SWIFT payment platform, it'd be tens of billions of dollars that would just wouldn't get transferred uh, and thing, and money needs to be in certain places at, at certain times, right? So I think those are some of the more, um, you know, there's you do play some high stakes poker at times whenever you really want to, um, you know, do a, a pen test correctly, right? And so, um, so that was fun, but also there's different elements to, to red teaming that I found fun, um, which is also wargaming. So doing tabletop mm -hmm. exercises with stakeholders um, right. and really getting them involved, really getting like, you know, the PR folks involved, communications, operations, all these random people beyond the technical side that would yeah. be a part of the operations. I think that's a lot of fun too, because you really get to understand how an incident is played out um, with, with a lot of great people in the in the company in the firm so um i think that's one of the great things about red teaming it goes beyond just your technical chops it really does uh you know challenge the entire organization of how to really respond to um adversaries within your network 
I love that. Yeah. And I, I think we're going to talk more about that, that communication aspect and the sort of practical hands-on aspects of it. So uh, we have a lot of questions from a visitor or from a, from people who sent questions in today. So I want to start with uh, real simple, because I think a lot of people, there's, there's that difficulty of like, how do I, if I'm just starting now, how do I get to that point where I'm emulating, you know, the SWIFT payment system or how, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm breaking in and getting, um, you know, people's uh, seat assignments and, and so forth. So uh, Andrea asks, hi, this is Andrea. My question is, what's the best way and certification to start a career in cybersecurity? Uh, now, we had a bunch of related questions that I think are worth answering kind of all as a as a bouquet. Um, user Peacekeeper 07 chap says, are CompTIA courses like A+, Network Plus and Security Plus good enough to get your foot in the door? Uh, user Hamza says, what about the programming languages? Are these needed in cybersecurity or in offensive security roles? And I mentioned this one as well. User uh, Mark Barrow one says, do you have to be a fast typer to do cybersecurity? Uh, you know, and I mean, we, we all we all kind of smiled at that, but I think it's worth like breaking this down to the absolute bare minimum because I think people see, you know, hackers on TV doing the clickety, clickety, clicky with the, uh, you know, the computer and think that it's some sort of like a speed game. But so for people who are right at like, you know, point zero and are attempting to get into this, what recommendations uh, do you have in terms of where to start? What are your fundamentals? Do you do A plus? Do you get right into security plus? Uh, yeah, yeah I, I can take that one first. And I think sure. um, certifications, I feel like for everyone is probably like the barrier of entry, right? Like they need certifications to get that job. And um, sometimes that is the case. Let's say if you're working um, for a consulting company or an, a, like an integrator on the defensive side or, or for, for, for the federal government, typically it is required that you do have uh, a security plus or network plus. Um, or, you know, GCIH, there's so many different certifications that kind of qualify you for a role, which is the bare minimum. So when you talk about cybersecurity, how do I break into the cybersecurity role? It also depends on what role within the cybersecurity, like, you know, vertical as well, right? There's so many roles you can be, you know, you can do triaging, you can do, um, you know, monitoring, there's, um, there's incident handling, there is threat intelligence, pen testing, there's so many different roles. So I think that for, um, I think it'd be great for, you know, new, um, uh, you know, people who aspire to be in cybersecurity to really understand what actually is the most, um, uh, like, like things they're mo most passionate about and then go for that instead, right? I mean, it'd be great to have have, have a good understanding of the network as well as, you know, having the security plus, you know, those certifications really give you like a foundational work to get started. Um, so there's not one specific one I would recommend, but I would say that there's there's a lot of different ones out there that you can still get your hands into into cybersecurity. So really understanding what is the most, most uh, passionate thing that you are about cybersecurity and pursue that instead. Um, regarding languages, um, you know, I think it, it is very helpful for people to understand programming languages, especially if you're doing product security, right? So that's another security, you know, aspect of it that we don't talk about. You know, whenever people think cybersecurity, it's probably thinking you're, you're probably thinking like you're in the sock somewhere, right? So that's some organization right. there. But there's also a growing demand for product security. So understanding languages like, you know, PHP, Python, um, C, C++, uh, like all these languages are definitely helpful in understanding. So uh, not one that I'd recommend, but I think along those lines, you know, having a strong fundamental around it would definitely help you um, understand the full aspect of, of a product as well. Software product, that's what I mean. Okay. Curtis? Yeah, those, those are great points. Um, <clears throat> I agree 100%. 
And um, speaking more to the path um, part um, than the certification part, um, I think a variety of different people from different skill sets and different backgrounds um, makes for a better team. I don't think that there's one correct path, I think, and I'm a strong believer that, you know, people from different areas of IT make really good pen testers, um, sysadmins, developers, uh, architects, network engineers, you know, people from varying different backgrounds um, can come together and form a really comprehensive um, red team. Um, because you know how to attack it, right? If you know how to defend it and set it up, um, you're just naturally going to understand how to um, attack that network better. Um, so I wouldn't get hung up on, you know, one specific path. I think the more um, expertise you can have, um, just in general, um, from my experience, is a good thing. Um, and then, yeah, going back to the programming, um, you don't need to be a developer by any means, um, but I do think that there's some value in scripting um, especially as a pen tester, you know, Python, those client side um, programming languages. Um, and then depending on, you know, if you get into AppSec, um, having development uh, or at least some coding experience is going to be uh, helpful to you in your career. And fast typing? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's good for writing reports. I don't yeah. know so much. Uh, you know, I was telling the guys earlier, um, fast typing uh, can help me sometimes if I'm trying to um, get in from a phishing campaign before the actual user can enter their credentials or, you yeah. know, beat them to their multi-factor pin or something like that. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think I, that I, just I, comes with the passion, you know, being a fast right. typer. Yeah, I think that also sort of speaks to the, the the aspect of like you can start wherever, but if you're really passionate about this stuff, you're probably, you know, you don't necessarily need a plus network plus and security plus to get started. But once you're in, I'm guessing you're probably gonna want to sort of go backwards and learn as many things as you can. You know, one of the consensus things that I hear from so many guests is if you know networking inside and out and backwards and forward, you're gonna be a better pen tester. If you know, you know, every aspect of the system, you're just, you're just gonna be better at this, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to sort of collect it up front or you're, you know, there's right. a gatekeep, you know, barrier or gatekeeper. So um, I want to uh, move to the next question here. Um, user Pablo says, is ethical hacking the same as penetration testing? And how do they differ from offensive security and red teaming? So these these terms all are, are sort of uh, squishy in the in the popular consciousness. So can we do the, the basic breakdown of, of red team, blue team versus ethical hacking versus other things that are in that in that realm? Uh, yeah. Or Curtis? Yeah, I'm happy to jump in again. Sorry, I mean, here, sure. I'll, I'll get it back to you here in a second. Um, yeah, no, I uh, I would consider like reporting a vulnerability through responsible disclosure, um, say through a, a vulnerability disclosure policy or bug bounty program, for example. That's ethical hacking in my book, um, but may not be the same thing as you know pen testing. Um, it's all in an you know it's all for the same purpose or goal, and that's to help uh, a client better their security posture. And I think any effort to simulate a real world attack is really when, um, you know, like a black hat um, may do. Uh, I, I would consider that red teaming. Um, so when we talk about red teaming, when we talk about um, specifically what that means, um, my mind jumps to simulating a real world attack. Um, but there's certainly some overlap between the two terms, you know, there, uh, people use them interchangeably a lot, um, and and they definitely can be um, interchanged like that. Yeah, I I, I, would, I would totally agree. And um, yeah, there's definitely different um, 
a difference in you know in ethical hacking, whether it be a course or you know uh, web app pen testing and red teaming, right? As um, you know, I think like uh, like some ethical hacking certifications are typically not hands-on; it's more concepts and um, and and theories to to operate on. Uh, and I think um, more valuable skills would be uh, things like actually having hands-on keyboard and practicing those things, whether it be you know learning Kali Linux and um, Metasploit and stuff like that, right? So I think that um, any certification or any any um, any way to actually do any kind of hacking, right? Um, you know, I think ha um, hands-on tools are more preferable. And um, and like we said earlier, right? Like um, like Curtis said, real-world attacks is really the red teaming side of it, right? It's like a no-holds-barred match um, that has been approved. There are certain objectives that you know your firm has approved um, of doing, and you operate that way, right? And so there's definitely there's definitely a difference where, as let's say for example, web app pen testing, you're you're looking for flaws, right? You're looking for um, you're trying different tools against um, against your applications to ensure that it is secure. Um, whereas uh, red teaming, there's there's a there's more objectives. It's not just breaking in; it's about achieving more objectives, whether it be you know sending false payments through the Swift payment platform, and you know it's it's a lot different. Um, but what about pen testing? I think is is a very uh, it's, it's a very fundamental um, um, practice that has to be done before you do red teaming. Yeah. Yeah. Well uh, said. Yeah, so I, I think that's I think that's a great that we, we we've defined we've defined our terms pretty well here. So I, because this is of course cyber work and people are thinking in terms of uh, you know these concepts in terms of getting work, getting into work, moving up in in the, up the ladder and so forth. A lot of the questions have been about you know their study path and their and whether or not they're on the right path. So um, our next uh, slide is from uh, Moani Tamashiro who says, I'm trying to become an ethical hacker. What educational path do you recommend that will teach me the basics from the beginning to the end? What classics, classes, certifications, or training do I take? Uh, do I need an apprenticeship or a boot camp? So, and they mentioned, you know, I, I attend Divergence Academy with a major in cybersecurity and pen testing, as well as DeVry University in computer info systems, concentrating in computer forensics, and I'm confused about what I should really be taking. I'd also like to know if there are other internships or work studies. So this comes up a lot. We, I, I, you know, I think this is sort of common with um, new students is, you know, I've, I've chosen a path, but what if I've chosen the wrong one, <laughs> you know? Uh, and uh, so I, you know, I, there, obviously there's no one specific right path, but uh, a lot of the, um, you know, there's there's that that concern of like, what if I choose a path that you know completely ruins my career for the rest of my life, which I think, uh, you know, um, most people have said is 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 pretty likely impossible. But I wanted to talk to you both about this. Do you have thoughts on studying ethical hacking and and what your sort of recommended course or pathway would be to sort of get in once you've gotten past the security fundamentals? Yeah, I think. Um... A couple of courses, and we're not sponsored by any of these organizations, but right. I will say that um, I think uh, the GPEN course that I think SANS has has actually been very helpful from what I've seen because they also do labs and and um, and OSCP is kind of like the gold standard for um, for for good penetration testers, right? And so I think that um, those two, the thing that that's common is that there's a, a lot of practical experience. There's labs. There's a bunch of different tools that you can deploy and start using. And I think that's really where you're where, where you're going to learn more more um, 
more of the tradecraft than anything else. And so I think I would I would kind of progress that way. But I don't think anyone can really just jump into OSCP without any kind of basic knowledge, right? And so right. I think like having like building blocks, whether it be certifications or my favorite YouTube videos <laughs> is where mm -hmm. I've learned so much from, right? Um, there's right. always new trends. There's always new uh, attacks that you can just learn about um, and just understanding, um, uh, I think, I think just like the general landscape of tools, but as well as the current attacks that are happening. And so it, it's a variety. And I think, you know, these certifications end up becoming very expensive. And if your company is not sponsoring you to do it, it's a lot to put up and it's a lot of pressure personally yeah. to fork up five or six, $7,000 um, and expect to pass it, right? And then in hopes that you get a job after that, right? And so um, it, it really is, it really is a gamble um, sometimes, but I think when it comes to at least learning it, I don't think there's any any type of waste um, uh, in, in learning that. But uh, my favorite, of course, you know, organizations like yourself, Chris at InfoSec, but as well as, um, you know, YouTubing a lot of things is, is really helpful to at least get your, um, you know, your skill set started. Yeah. Curtis, any thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, I mean, you said it perfectly. Um, you know, I, I, as a hiring manager myself, I, I personally gave, gave less weight to the formal education and training than I did, you know, somebody coming in the door and getting started in security, that they had an interest and a willingness to learn. And I think some of that's pretty self-evident with, you know, do they do home labs? Do they do capture the flag challenges? Um, so my advice would be, you know, it doesn't really, um, I would say there's not a, again, like, like my last answer, there's not a specific right way to do it. Um, if you have an interest in this field, there are a lot of great online free resources, um, cheap resources, even, you know, other resources as well. But, you know, if you're, if you're interested in AppSec, for example, uh, there's a lot of um, like uh, capture the flag, such as try hack me, hack the box, DVWA, oh, yeah. uh, uh, Burp, uh, or Port Swigger has a web app academy. Um, Sands puts on a holiday hack challenge, uh, which is more you know of a general um, type of challenge. But there's you know tons of capture the flags out there, <clears throat> so that's a really good way to get practical experience, uh, in my opinion, and show and demonstrate that you're actually you know, working towards um, this profession. Um, so hopefully that helps. Um, I'm, I'm with Amin on the um, Offensive Securities OSCP. Um, I really like those hands-on uh, certifications. Um, I didn't even pass the OSCP on my first try. I was one machine short, um, but um, I learned so much in the process just by taking the labs. Um, so I would highly recommend, you know, if not that one specifically, um, anything where you can get some hands-on uh, experience. Yeah, and I think like a lot of the a lot of your skills that you like um, uh, obtain from these certifications, or even just going through uh, you know CTFs and stuff like that. I think that um, the command of the knowledge will show in interviews, right? So even if right. you didn't have any certifications, but you can say that you configured your own personal firewall or you yep. attended these CTFs, like. That shows, first of all, it shows passion. It shows like passion in the field. It shows the command of the knowledge. And I think that is really what rises to the top in interviews. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, excellent advice. And uh, and Curtis, we're definitely going to be tapping your um, your hiring manager experience later on in the uh, 
uh, in the talk here. We definitely have some questions about that. So uh, moving on from harder skills, uh, user Celeste asks, besides technical skills or certifications, what are some personal qualities or characteristics that make somebody a good candidate for a red teaming role? Um, and, you know, I think uh, most cybersecurity uh, positions that we hear are not simply, you know, um, hardcore engineers. Like there's always going to be a need for writing, for communications. Can you talk a little bit about what some of these uh, soft skills would be especially uh, useful in, in red team roles? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to jump in on this one too. Um, obviously, you know, customer service um, experience, um, a lot of what we do involves relaying you know, technical jargon to um, sometimes a less technical audience, even a, even a technical audience sometimes. Um, but, you know, being able to um, communicate that in a way that's helpful to the client. Um, a lot of my background, again, is consulting. So I'm used to working with uh, numerous different clients um, and just making sure that they understand um, everything. And, and, and so a lot of that is um, customer service. Um, Going back to what makes somebody a good candidate, um, you know, I like to look for people that, um, again, going back to, you know, do they do home labs and things like that? Um, even if they set up a, a pie hole at home or a security onion or something like that, you know, that that shows me a lot, kind of what to, Amin was just saying. Um, it shows me that there's a commitment and a passion um, for the field. Um, GitHub um, repos make a really solid portfolio um, blogging, um, you know, and it doesn't have to be groundbreaking research. Again, if you're doing that, that pie hole setup at home and it's been documented, you know, a million times, just writing a blog on that, on that process and sharing it with the community, um, really goes a long way in showing your commitment to, to the field and the community at large. Yeah. Um, I'd also say, you know, like being in position of red teaming, like once you're there, I think um, it holds a lot of power, right? There's, um, you, ha you have like the power to show, you know, vulnerabilities, but also like, uh, but also vulnerabilities with, with your own teams who could be blue teaming, right? So, um, so one of the things that I would say, one of the characteristics I'd be say, you know, being humble is a very important characteristic of being a red teamer because the last thing you want to do is tick off a lot of your teammates just showing that, you know, they didn't catch yeah. certain things that the red team was doing or even just kind of, um, you don't want to berate any of the infrastructure people or advisory people that have actually, uh, you know, configured all the tools and or the network either, right? So you want to be careful of how you are, um, you know, finding these vulnerabilities and relaying it into a positive way to make it constructive, because the last thing you want to do is really, uh, you know, become the real adversary, right? Like you're, you know, the red team, the blue team, they're all a part of you know, the defense of, of the, of yeah. your stakeholder, right? So um, that's a very important aspect because it's not about embarrassing people or organizations. It's really about, you know, strengthening and hardening your, your org than anything else. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point in, in terms of talking about sort of etiquette between red teams and, and blue teams here that, you know, they're, they're, I think it's it's becoming more apparent that this isn't the case, but it seems like the sort of first wave of people who are interested in in red teaming really thought, well, this is as close as I can get to being a real hacker, and you know, without any sort of boundaries and no holds barred, and everything's up for granted, and let's everything's up for for grabs, and let's kidnap the CEO, and let's you know smash a window and all this kind of stuff. But uh, I think that's worth noting, and and I mean, you guys can speak to it a little bit more that this is a, a collaborative process, and even though you can be aggressive. 
uh, you're still on the same team and that you're still uh, going for the same goal. And that even in, in just like in basketball or whatever else, like being a hot shot isn't necessarily going to make you, uh, you know, stand out on your team in the way that you wanted to. Yeah. And I have some bad news for red teamers as well. People who want to get into red teaming, a lot of it is program management, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how much percentage, half, maybe more than half. Uh, a lot of it is setting expectations. It's the, it's the preparation of what objectives you want to achieve. Um, it's also, I think, I don't know if we're going to go into this uh, later, but just wanted to mention it. But, um, you know, a lot of it is, is preparing and decoupling um, exercises that have already been done, right? So if you look at the entire kill chain phase or any other framework that you want to look at, if certain things have already been tested, you have a new starting point to, to go mm -hmm. after, right? So deconflicting mm -hmm. that with other penetration testing teams in the organization, I think that's also a really big thing uh, because you don't want to spend extra resources on, you know, double, you know, uh, testing things twice, right? Um, because all that results in more alerts for your SOC. And, you know, there's just a lot of different things that you have to consider. Also, goal setting is a big thing too, right? And so, depending right. on what level of your, you know, the red team you are, whether it be senior manager or you know, um, or the or or the tester, I think that, um, you know, you really have to understand what are the goals of of the firm to achieve anyway, right? What are the long term goals? Uh, what are you trying to achieve? And having those planned out is really helpful because um, because because then you really understand like the resiliency of your network. So. I think I think a lot of it is preparation, unfortunately, for red teamers. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that, that that moves nicely into our next question here about sort of what skills are really valued in in red teaming at this point. Um, Sean Ellis, uh, MS in cybersecurity, uh, BCSC CD1 says, I've recently completed a master's in cybersecurity and Veterans Affairs has granted me a little bit of extra funds to expand my cybersecurity skill sets. I'm interested in gaining more hands-on practice with red teaming. I've investigated the Offensive Security Pen 200 course, but it is a little overwhelming to determine what skill sets are required to be beneficial in the industry. I've noted an increased demand for cloud security and compliance, but I've also noticed a serious lack in penetration testing capability across the board. Of course, I'm attempting to get sponsorship for my own company, but may have to take this on as a personal journey. Uh, I have the academic part down, but I'm unsure how to build my hands-on skills. Uh, so I, I think this is kind of a, a nice position to be in. You've got a little extra uh, fundage to uh, expand your, your cybersecurity skill set, but you also want to, again, make your shot count here. So do you have any thoughts for, for Sean here in terms of uh, what is actually being looked at in terms of red teaming? Are you seeing more cloud security and more compliance and less penetration testing? Or is that is that varied from position to position, do you think? Um. I haven't noticed, you know, less penetration testing. Uh, obviously, there's more of a focus on the cloud than ever. A mm -hmm. lot of um, what we do in pen testing supports, you know, regulatory requirements. So um, sometimes you're doing um, pen testing and things like that to support some kind of framework. Um, so there is that. Um, I hate to see people get discouraged, though, um, especially yeah. if you have that academic knowledge. Um, I hate to say just just do it, just jump in. Um, but sometimes, um, you know, if you have that if you have that experience or if you if you have that knowledge, um, then again, I, I know I said it before, but um, identifying those weaknesses and then trying to use those online resources at your disposable uh, at your disposal, um, YouTube, uh, any kind of interactive training, 
um, if you do identify weaknesses, um, you know, you can brush up on those um, and then jump into, you know, whatever course you want to take. Um, and I would just encourage you to, you know, um, do what you can and, and then jump in when you're ready. Yeah. I mean, any thoughts? I not, yeah, I would agree with that 100%. <laughs> Nothing okay. to add. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we are getting some some good questions in from listeners. I'm going to uh, maybe sort of pepper in a few of these here. Um, uh, speaking to a previous question, we were talking about uh, capture the flags as being a good hands-on um, exercise. Uh, Russell asks, do you find that competitive red team, blue team exercises to be more realistic than capture the flag exercises? Yeah, I would say so, only because you're you're working on your environment, right? On a real environment right. that's actually, um, I mean, yeah, you you most likely a production environment, right? And being able to have the the, the feedback and being able to uh, point out like the real flaws or uh, security uplifts that you want to recommend, the, like those are a lot more real, right? And so um, mm -hmm. I think CTFs are you know sprints, whereas you know uh, red team versus blue team can last weeks, even months. Uh, long. Mm. Okay, that's interesting. Um, okay, so I want to move on from there to talking a little bit about methodology on on the client level here. So uh, one of our tech exams users, uh, Severine, says, what are some key points that should be discussed and asked of suppliers to confirm whether their approach toward the red team assessment is the most suitable? Um, I think this sort of speaks towards the idea of people, at, you know, what is actually on and off limits. And again, this sort of speculative fantasy of, of red teamers as being these no holds barred, you know, tech barbarians and so forth. But how do you, how, how can you speak to um, discussing and asking suppliers their their approach towards red team assessments? Um, yeah, so um, that's a really good question. Um, I think um, they should be asking you questions to better understand um, not just the scope, but what level of secu uh, security maturity that your organization um, is at currently. Um, based on that, I think they should work with you to determine the most suitable approach, right? Um, you shouldn't run before you can crawl. Um, there may not be a lot of value in doing a full-fledged red team assessment with a physical component and uh, social engineering and everything else if they're just getting started in their security um, path. And, you know, um, maybe in that case, a vulnerability uh, assessment, uh, vulnerability management program makes the most sense. Um, because they're going to just end up wasting money and time if mm -hmm. they and not get a lot of value out of it. Honestly, it's it's like shooting fish in a barrel um, right. if they have never done a vuln assessment, but you're starting out with a red team. Yep. Yeah. I think identifying those customer or those um, providers that want to work with you and be a partner and help you grow and make sure that you know over time you're getting um, more and more value. Um, so you can step up those assessments. So I'd be careful of the ones that want to um, just throw everything at you the first time. Yeah. And um, just to piggyback on that, I think that was great, uh, Curtis. And a really, uh, you know, goal expectation, as I mentioned before, right? Like, I, I think I think the sponsorship from the CISO and the CSO is ex is extremely important to to really define what are some of the operations or systems that are most critical to that organization, right? And for us, like the Goldman story, right? It was the Swift payment platform because so right. much, you know, if that system were to go down, it would cause 
um, a lot of trouble for not just the firm, but also markets that rely on Goldman as well, right? So um, understanding your crown jewels, understanding your priorities, what are the most uh, fundamental things about your business that just can't be compromised at all, um, and having that buy-in and being able to perform an assessment that way, I think is very important. So the methodology for us has always been um, really understanding the, 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 key, the key assets that, that need extra, extra attention. Can you two speak to any sort of mental checklists or whatever? Because I, th I think there's some good points in there about companies being too quick to hire red teamers when they haven't even gotten their, you know, their own system, uh, you know, right from a from a pen testing perspective. Like, how do you know when your assets are solid enough that you're ready to sort of bring in the big gun, so to speak? Yeah. Um... I think it goes back to compliance maybe um, okay. in a more formalized setting. I, I think companies should have a good feel of, you know, how far away they are, um, how mature their, their security uh, model is. Um, they should know if they're just getting started or if they feel like they've, you know, got a pretty good handle on things. Uh, but there's a lot of frameworks out there um, that they could, they could compare themselves against um, to, to get a feel for, you know, where they, they sit maturity wise. Yeah, like uh, like the NIST framework and ISO framework. If you if you complete those with uh with you know good passing scores, you should be in good shape. And I can't say that's like you know that's all you need to get started, but um it's 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 a start at least, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Uh, okay, so I want to uh, move on. Uh, this one sort of spoke to me. Um, and I think you guys will have a lot to, to work with here. This is from one of our tech exam users, uh, uh, Bermovic, uh, says, I managed to get myself into a penetration testing position. Doing red team work is something I always thought uh, had the potential to be lots of fun. I knew there would be quite a bit of paperwork, but I figured the thrill of popping a box or domain would more than make up for it. And it does when it happens. But a fair amount of the time, I feel kind of like a fraud, I guess. Most of the external engagements are verifying what the vulnerability scanner already detected, SSL vulnerabilities or some kind of information disclosure, private IPs and HTML responses, et cetera. All in all, it feels a bit cookie cutter or like mass produced version of pen testing. Maybe that's just how it is nowadays. I'm hoping other pen testers might be able to chime in and give me a better idea if I've had, if I made an unrealistic vision uh, version of what this type of job can be in my head or if there's variation in this type of work. It feels a bit silly now that I've typed it out. Why wouldn't there be variation? But I'm still curious the extent of that variation, I guess. So mm -hmm. I, I think, again, we I've, I've wanted to have this on here because I think it's really important to, uh, you know, separate myth from from reality in terms of what the day-to-day -day work of red teaming is. Do you, do you sort of get the sort of mindset here where you feel like, oh, that was too easy, or oh, all I had to do was just sort of read these files or see what someone else had already done. Um, is that is that common? Is is there are there variations? Is there sort of a higher level that this person might get to eventually? Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, so I totally understand this question, uh, and and I understand like you know, let's say for example, after our Swift experiment was done, right? Like. Um, what do you do after that, right? Do you just wait right. for another trend to come up? And really a lot of it has to do with the authorities that your organization has given the red team, right? And not, it can't always be like, continue, go hack and, and just find exploits, right? And so right. it's really it's really not always that. And there's other ways to get creative in that role once you're there. And I think um, it would be, you know, uh, you know, writing down that list of main priorities, understanding the stakeholders, 
uh, in your organization and what are the critical assets as mentioned, right? The crown jewels and begin to do thought experiments, right? This is at the base level of, of, of security of just like, you know, wargaming it in your head of, of what are the most important things and how it can be hacked and um, being able to kind of set up a methodology of how how a certain asset could be compromised, right? And so, and then you kind of understand like, you know, what kind of securities we really have around these assets and, and going forward from there. So, um, you know, if it can get boring, if those authorities are not there, um, you can always do thought experiments, which lead to war gaming. And that's when you really have people and you, um, you have like a concept of of um, like 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 a notional uh, exercise where you pretend there is a, a breach happening and what happens here at XYZ right and how do you recover from it how do you respond um, and those are very important things to do because you're also creating processes at the same time so that paperwork thing that 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 um, that user uh, uh, talked about is very true that is a very real thing and so I think you know just to go back to what I was saying would be you know thought experiments um, to have a, like a conceptual idea of what what could be compromised and the second thing would be to actually once you realize that hey these certain assets or these processes can be exploited then you propose at least a tabletop exercise or war gaming around it and if there's enough use cases there then you just you just you know prove the point that this asset actually does need technical red teaming um, and that's kind of like the the crawl walk run of what to test and a lot of times it is the red team that should be proposing things um, uh, of what to test right but it's a it's a it's a it's a bi-directional relationship where you know the management should also be giving down um, or you know proposing um, main assets that should that should be considered for assessments. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great. Great. Great job. I mean, um, I, I agree with that 100%. Um, I'd like to talk about the you know the cookie cutter mass produced pen test um, and how it feels like there's more of that nowadays. Um, mm -hmm. I think from my experience, kind of what I've seen are a lot of um, cons uh, consulting firms or, you know, um, pen testing um, places offering um, essentially a, a vulnerability scan uh, and then they call it a pen test, right? So first mm, of all, mm -hmm. um, I think we need to be careful on, on what's, um, what do you define a pen test as? Um, just validating results from a Volan scan, I don't think qualifies. Um, and I'm not saying that this user that, that asked the question is, is saying that at all. Um, but I do want to point that out because I do think, you know, for compliance reasons, a lot of times, um, you know, customers do um, tend to, and it makes sense for cost reasons, you know, they want the cheapest pen test they can get um, so they can satisfy this requirement and say that, you know, I did this pen test. Um, we kind of call that checking the box, right? Um, but it doesn't have to be right. I mean, like a, a pen test, an actual pen test, or an actual red team assessment. Um, there's a lot of variation in that. You know, you could take that all the way to, you know, I mentioned before, um, you know, physical red teaming, or there might be social engineering in scope. Um, so, and and even with regular pen testing at the lowest level, um, a Voln scan it shouldn't be the only tool at your disposal. Um, most pen testers have, you know, a variety of different tools. Um, that they can they can use to try you know fuzzing or um, maybe there's some exploit development opportunities based on some POCs that are publicly known. Um, so I would I would just encourage um, trying to think outside the box and using you know different 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 methods or different tools. Uh, there's a lot of great open source tools that you can leverage. So to speak to Bermovic's concerns here, uh, just to sort of game it out, do you think that there's a chance that 
uh, maybe this person is just, you know, in a, in a, in a role right now where, you know, they're, they're being limited and, and there's not that much to do. And is it just, it, maybe if he, if this person found like a better, uh, you know, red team or a different company, or is it just a matter of like, you, you're going to go through a number of these, these sort of boring versions and you're going to occasionally get like, you know, a real hot one is, 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 is there a certain sort of baseline of, of rote red teaming or pen testing that you have to get to before you get to do sort of higher level exciting things? Or is it more of a, a thing where, you know, you could look at the sort of rote ones that this person has done and say, oh, I can name five other things that you could have done that, that no one either chose to allocate resources or thought to do. Uh, I know for me, a lot of times it comes down to to budget and, and you know, how okay. much time you have to dedicate right. to something. Sometimes you're going to have those assessments that are just cookie cutter and, and shorter. Um, and then other times you're going to have those really exciting ones. I think uh, I think it just depends. And, you know, this could be an internal um, red team where, you know, the environment isn't changing a lot. Um, or even um, in consulting, if you do the same pen test over and over again for the same client, um, I always try to mix that up by putting different resources um, on that engagement so that there's a fresh set of eyes and a different perspective, even if it's the same pen test over and over again. You know, how can you spend your time differently each time uh, and focus on a different area? Maybe you focus a little bit more on application security um, mm. than you normally would um, because you've tried all these other things before. So I think there's ways to mix it up, uh, if that answers your question, Chris. Yeah, I think so. Any thoughts, Abin? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. The fact that, um, yeah, being a part of Red Team, you are going to have ups and downs, right? It, it's not, it's not always 100% go time. So, um, unfortunately, that like that is a part of it, right? And I yeah. think a lot of it, you know, happens. You know, you do an engagement, you do some paperwork afterwards, you work with your, um, you know, control uplist folks, and you know, like I think that's that's just a part of it. And one thing that we didn't actually talk about is that when you're doing a Red Team assessment, you know, sometimes you'll even find an existing compromise, right, as well. And so mm -hmm. that's when you have to get your incident response and, and, and other folks related. And so, um, you know, I don't, wanna, I don't want that question to kind of seem that red team is just a boring part of it. And I think that we have kind of been very transparent on the fact that there is some, there's paperwork involved, there's, you know, assessment, there's, you know, post postmortems and stuff like that that have to be involved with. But um, the value that you're providing is incredible, right? Um, being able to continuously secure an environment and um, really challenging the organization is is very good. And so um, I just don't want to discourage anybody just because of the of the the board, not boredom, but um, you know, just kind of like the non-fun stuff that, that happens. Right. Uh, thank you. So um, the next question here is about sort of picking your battles when learning additional skills. So Tech Exams user Yoba222 says, among the many things I do at my day-to-day -day information security job, I occasionally participate in penetration testing. My company's encouraged me to transition from occasional junior penetration tester to full-blown penetration tester. And I wonder if there's much return on investment in studying for an MCSA or something like Server 2016 or even Windows 10. I don't really need this cert from a resume perspective. It will be a waste of time. The goal really is to be a better ten pen tester and I have a lot to learn. Um, I, you know, I'll say personally, I don't feel like any any type of learning is a waste of time. But, I, you know, I think, again, that there's always that question of how do I best allocate the limited time that I have to be most effective for, I'm putting words in their mouth, but the, the company that I work for, how do I, you know, so do you have any thoughts on these 
sort of side quests in terms of um, uh, learning additional skills? I mean, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I think that, um, uh, so it really depends on the environment, right? If there are mm -hmm. certain assets that you're using most, sure, then it would make sense to to learn it more, right? But really, for, for like for that specific person, I'm not sure what other, uh, you know, skills they already have. But I think one of the things that we did say is that, you know, having more hands-on, um, hands-on lab, uh, you know, environments, a part of your, your testing um, or like part of your certification would be more beneficial, right? So rather it be a GPEN or OSCP or something like that, I would probably, you know, steer them that way unless, you know, the things that was mentioned earlier were, were actually a part of the environment that's a must, must know, right? So um, really depends. I, I would assess <laughs> on, on what your organization really requires if that's yeah. what you want to cater to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, going back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, diverse backgrounds in this field, um, I don't think you can go wrong. Um, I understand that, you know, most people, they're, they're limited by time and money, right? So um, it makes sense that you want to focus on a specific area. I think, you know, learning more about operating systems, um, you know, you mentioned uh, Windows 10 and Server 2016 and learning how to administer those and, and how they work, um, depending on your role in red teaming, I think can come in really handy. Um, but again, I don't think there's any, you know, knowledge that's ever a waste, like Chris said. Um, you know, I have so many examples in my, in my own career where, you know, my experience as a systems administrator or a DBA or something like that came in handy um, in a pen test where I never expected it to. Um, so I think it just, um, what, whatever, you find most interesting. Uh, if you think that's something you want to go after from a technical perspective, um, I don't think it'll be a waste of time. But that's just my that's my opinion. Yeah, I, you know, and I think it's it's worth mentioning that it, you know, unless you are in a part of a very small organization, you're you're going to be part of a red team. And the idea of a team is that each team member sort of brings something unique to it. And in that in that regard, it is kind of like the movie Sneakers, where you have you have people who are experts yeah. at different things, and you can you know. If you become a you know a top to bottom back and forth expert at Windows 10 and and how to exploit it every which way but loose, like you're going to be useful to somebody, I'm sure, even if it's not the team that you're on right now. So, you know, I think there there, there needs to be a question between, you know, is this useful to me in the moment? Will this be useful in the in the long term? Is this something I want to push myself toward? Because otherwise, you're it's like you're in Home Depot and you're just looking at tools and like, oh, this looks fun. I wonder what I could do with this, and you don't have any project there. <laughs> You know, you don't need to be getting another circular saw. So, uh, so <laughs> great example. We, so we had a we had a question come in that I think is kind of would relate well to this. Uh, uh, Thomas asks, um, I'm 60 years old with 30 years in IT as a developer and network admin. Got my CompTIA, CISA Plus, and Pentest Plus. I'm not interested in entry level position at a company. And any, any advice for someone who wants to freelance? Uh, so, you know, I, I think that's a, a really good example of, you know, maybe feeling like you don't want to sort of, um, you know, do the, you know, play, you know, being a band that plays in bars first until you get your record contract. If you have all this knowledge uh, at hand and you want to start doing freelance work, is that is that a viable option in this regard? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, it sounds like uh, the, the, the person asking this question has um, that experience already. Um, being a developer too, um, did I hear that correctly? Uh, developer I, background? I so. mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, so yeah. Just, 30, it, 19 is a developer and network admin, yeah. Yeah, so in my opinion, you know, network administrators, ex-network administrators and ex-developers uh, make the best 
pen testers and AppSec um, testers too. So uh, I've always strongly felt that way. Um, I came to AppSec kind of in a, in a backwards way. Uh, I was never a formal developer. And I always wish I had had that experience. And I know people that came from an engineering background into AppSec, for example, and, and they understand it. They know the foundation, they know the frameworks, they know the languages, um, and, and having that experience is invaluable. So um, to me, it sounds like this person you know, checks a lot of those boxes already. Um, so I'd encourage uh, freelancing is what you want to do. Um, it sounds like there's really nothing holding you back. Yeah, and the point about AppSec is super important because like like we talked about earlier, there's there's like a, I mean, there's obviously a shortage of cybersecurity professionals, but I found that specifically in AppSec is, is critically uh, undermanned right now. So I think there's a great chance of that person succeeding, <laughs> finding their freelance work. That's awesome. So I want to move to um, some some interview and and resume questions. So our next uh, question is from TechExams user uh, Shaco37. I'll be interviewing for an in, internal red team position and want to prepare myself as best as possible. You mentioned there might be some code review in the interview and or questions around using Windows APIs for code execution, and this has me spooked. I expect there to be questions around kill chains, CTPs, MITRE framework, C2 infrastructure, maybe questions I'm planning and preparing. And I think I could handle all these questions fine. And that worries me because I can't think of more topics or questions that I would struggle with. So I don't know, maybe that's a good problem to be uh, to have, but at the same time, it also suggests that uh, our, our question asker here is worried that they don't know what they don't know. Can you can you talk and can you talk about, uh, and I know Curtis here, a, a hiring manager as, as well. Can you talk about sort of what types of things are asked in interviews and how to sort of prepare and how to prepare when you don't know what you don't know to, to be asked. How do you sort of, what do you do in a situation like that? Yeah, um, so I'm not currently in a hiring manager position, but I have been in the past um, gotcha. in a couple of different roles. And so um, I know as both a candidate and a hiring manager, a lot of times these questions are asked um, with the intent to kind of brainstorm with the candidate to see what they know. I don't think there's ever, at least in my experience, been an expectation for the candidate to know the answers to all of the questions asked. Um, yeah. So I understand how that can be overwhelming, even as a candidate. You know, I, I want to make sure I answer everything absolutely correct. Um, but a lot of these are just to see what you know. Um, not everybody has a super wide background in security. So they're going to bounce around and see what areas you do know better than others and make sure that they're, you know, applicable for the job. and um, so yeah, I would just say don't don't get discouraged. Um, don't get hung up on any one question if you don't know the answer. Um, that's okay. Um, again, you're probably not expected to know all of the answers. Um, this candidate seems to know that of specific things that they might not be as familiar with. So my suggestion there, again, going back to our previous answers, um, is just to brush up on those things um, yeah. if you're concerned about that um, before you go into the interview. Yeah, and a lot of things that are mentioned regarding, you know, tools, um, techniques and procedures, the TTPs, as well as uh, the command and control stuff that was also mentioned. I think that really, um, yeah, brushing up on on threat intelligence, right, and uh, understanding like the most, um, you know, uh, uh, trending topics, whether it be ransomware or uh, certain, certain um, you know, malware that's being used, uh, especially, I don't know what industry this is, but, you know, it could be in banking, so it could be familiar with Drydex or, you know, other, other malware. Um, and and kind of the trends it's going and i think having a command of that knowledge goes goes a long way because uh really those are the types of 
um, you know, behaviors that you'll have to emulate in the red team as well, right? So um, I think really what the threat intel is, uh, is, is providing will be beneficial for painting a story of how an attacker would view this organization. And a lot of times I think that it's a lot of scenario playing. Like every time I've hired for red teamers, it's it's just talking about scenarios and how you think through it. And you know, if you have those critical thinking skills to um, to address a certain uh, red team objective, I think is is helpful. Okay, so as we wrap up today, we're we're coming up on an hour here, and uh, this has been super awesome. And thank you uh, both for all of your insights. I want to jump to the last slide here because I think this is something that's on a lot of people's minds. We got variations on this question from a lot of people, uh, specifically talking about job loss woes in the age of COVID nineteen. And so, uh, user um, JCE was here. Uh, he had kind of a long question, and I want to read it all because I think it it speaks to the sort of up and down nature of of employment right now. Uh, they say, I finished my bachelor in computer science at the end of 2016. I eventually found a job in programming, but it got outsourced within four months of me starting. I decided to double down on my education with an 800-hour cybersecurity boot camp. I loved it and finished at the end of 2019, just in time for COVID to make job hunting quote-unquote fun. I quite enjoy cybersecurity, and I'm here on YouTube watching CyberSec videos while filling out applications. Uh, I bought myself a lockpick set and used laptop for Christmas to practice with and learn both the software and physical aspects. I finally got a job in August as a DLP triage analyst at a mid-sized MSP. Uh, it was supposed to be a foot in the door. Instead, I got laid off along with half of the other analysts at the start of the year when the company was bought out. The job hunt has not been is not any easier after a year of COVID. Any tips? I've seen others advise getting a help desk role, but I'm really resistant to that. I did customer service for 10 years to help pay for school, so I wouldn't have to do that kind of basic customer service work anymore. Is it really the best or even the only way to get into the field? Uh, other people have said people keep saying there's a shortage of cybersecurity professionals. But when I apply to the job, they say I'm not qualified due to years of experience. I have two degrees and some certifications. And a third uh, user says this is the issue. Once you get some training or certification, then companies won't hire you because they require at least two years of experience. If we don't get the opportunities, how are companies going to be able to fight hackers? So, uh, you know, obviously this has been kind of an extraordinary year and advice that you might have given in 2018 or 2019 might not be the same as you, advice in 2021, but uh, can either of you speak to um, the, the the job landscape right now and, and the frustrations? Yeah, so um, so that's super unfor un unfortunate, right? And I really feel like um, a lot of people can be perfect on on their resume, right? Have all the right certifications, the degrees, the experience, but still have trouble landing jobs. And I think that the best thing right now would also be also be to um, you know build your uh, your professional network. And I think that that's been the most critical thing. Like you know during the time of COVID, like everyone has gone just digital, right? There's like no networking events. There's, it's impossible to even, you know, get in front of a person. And so what I recommend is, you know, using um, resources like LinkedIn to, to reach out to people, reach out to hiring managers, reach out to companies that you feel like you'd be a great fit at um, and seeing if you can, if there's a spot for you there, right? I think that that personal touch um, right now is actually a great time to build that through, um, you know, direct messaging people that you see on social media or any other professional sites. And I think that's probably going to be the differentiator there and say that, hey, look, this is my situation. And, um, you know, um, you know, I'm very passionate. I'm willing to learn. I'm fungible. Right. And so I think that's probably the most important thing is building those relationships and getting in, because right now, 
you know, everyone is probably inundated with resumes and there's also a lot of jobs available too. So um, the way in would be to build a, a personal and professional connection with a real human rather than just an HR portal where you're just throwing in resumes. Right. And Curtis, any thoughts? Yeah, no, I would agree. I, I, I think, uh, I mean, you said it perfectly. Um, I think networking's uh, key. I, and <clears throat> for me, um, I've hired some really great people that, you know, show up to the local, uh, here in Indianapolis, we have local uh, ISSA and local o, uh, OWASP chapter uh, meetups and things like that. Obviously during the pandemic, um, those uh, didn't happen or they were virtual, right? So um, you're right, advice changes a little bit <laughs> based on the current circumstances, but um, networking like that uh, is key if you can do it. Um, if not, you know, I mentioned other ways that you can try to get your foot in the door from a technical perspective. Um, I think there's a really neat opportunity nowadays that there wasn't, uh, that didn't exist when, when I was first looking and, um, that's in the form of, uh, bug bounty hunting, for example, if you're like an AppSec tester or you want to get into AppSec, um, again, just demonstrating, yeah, I can do this. And, you know, you might get paid while you're learning too. Um, by doing bug bounty hunting, for example. And then you can turn around and show that to a potential employer, uh, somebody that's looking for AppSec people, uh, which is you know in demand um, right now. And you can say, look, I, I do this on the side and I'm pretty good at it too. So um, you know, that's, that's just one of many examples, uh, but I definitely understand the frustration and um, you know, I apologize that, that you had to go through that. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think the like those conferences now that conferences are starting back up, it, they're still very expensive, right? I, it's a, there's a difference between when a company is sending you, and you know you paying out of pocket, right? And paying right. out of pocket, you know, it can be outrageously expensive. And so, um, like you mentioned, there's you know local conference uh, local conferences, whether it be OWASP or um, you know. Uh, I guess like B-sides or any other security conferences that are local to you, um, there's there are always people out there hiring as well. So definitely build those networks, attend those happy hours as much as you don't want to, and just kind of get your name out there, right? Because in this in, in this environment, I think everyone has to kind of be a salesman for themselves as well. So uh, really being your advocate, um, your number one advocate would, would be the best advice I can give you for now. So thank you very much. That brings us to the end of the questions that were submitted in advance. And we've asked, we've answered a couple that that came in uh, during the uh, event. And if we didn't get to everything, I apologize. I wanted to ask one uh, quick one. I think maybe we can we can get the answer to this as a very practical question. Uh, Mona asks, uh, many places require top secret clearance. How am I supposed to get that when the company has to sponsor the application? Most want it before applying. Is that is that something? Is that a uh, chicken or the egg kind of thing that that we can sort of uh, figure out right here? Uh, yeah, so the clearance process is, is extremely hard, right? And okay. um, yeah, I, I would say that, yeah, if, if you're already a part of that company, then the sponsoring would be a lot easier because they've already done background checks and stuff like that. Um, but someone coming in without a clearance ever working in, in, in federal government, it's really hard to break into it, right? And so I wouldn't say give up because it, there's still a possibility, but just know that you're going to have you're going to need a lot of patience in order to in order to get there. Okay. Uh, well, with that, uh, I want to say thank you to everyone at home or at work for listening and watching today's episode of CyberWork Live. Uh, if you enjoyed today's event and you enjoyed our guests, I'll just point out that new episodes of the CyberWork podcast, hosted by me, uh, are available every Monday at 1 p.m. Central, both on video at our YouTube page and on audio wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. You can also check out past guests, including an episode each from Amin and Curtis at infosecinstitute.com slash podcasts. 
Uh, if you're interested in free hands-on cybersecurity training instruction, check out CyberWork Applied. Tune in as expert InfoSec instructors teach you a new cybersecurity skill and show you how that skill applies to real-world scenarios. To learn more, go to infosecinstitute.com learn to experience CyberWork Applied. Uh, we are planning to host CyberWork Live once per quarter. Our next episode takes place on Thursday, August 19th, and we'll feature the guests from our first CyberWork Live episode. Uh, they're coming back. They had so much fun with each other, they decided to become uh, uh, a legion of super friends. Mary Galloway, Vic Malloy, and Gene Yu will be discussing uh, changing and updating cybersecurity hiring to bring a more diverse set of professionals to the table to address the diverse challenges of 21st century cybersecurity. Uh, to learn more about that event and many others upcoming, go to infosecinstitute.com events. And lastly, I want to thank uh, our wonderful panelists, Amin Gilani and Curtis Brazell, for joining us today. And thank you all to all of our guests for attending and submitting more great questions than we knew what to do with. If I didn't get to yours, uh, feel free to resend it to cyberwork at infosecinstitute.com, and we'll see if we can get you uh, figured out here. Uh, as we end the uh, presentation today, a very quick survey will appear. Uh, if you would just take a moment and share your thoughts, it's very much appreciated and help us to produce more great content in the future. So for all of us, thank you and have a great day. How about some free cybersecurity training resources for you and your team? Just go to infosecinstitute.com slash free to get eBooks, training guides, and more than 100 cybersecurity training courses, all free for CyberWork listeners. Go to infosecinstitute.com slash free and start learning crucial new skills today.